This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's program has been pre-recorded. Overcoming great challenges like COVID-19 requires great cooperation. This is Dan Hilferty, CEO of Independence Blue Cross. Most of us never imagined we'd be facing an outbreak of this magnitude. But in the face of this challenge, hospitals, public officials, and business leaders have come together. Through effective cooperation, these leaders are taking steps to keep us safe. Slowing the rate of infection from the virus will help hospitals care for those who need attention most. Remember, stay home. Leave only for essential needs. Stay informed from sources like the CDC or Department of Health. Take a break from watching the news. Stay well, exercise, and practice self-care to make sure you're physically and mentally fit. In our great region, we have a tradition of caring for each other and cooperating to get things done. We'll do it again now. For more, visit ibx.com COVID-19. Together, we will beat COVID-19. Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. A radio.com station. From the Malamud and Associates Law Studios, it's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. That is a very, very robust, vigorous, achu sneeze. That's what that is. And that's not what we're talking about. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Good morning and welcome on this last Sunday in August, a beautiful time of year. Thank you for tuning in to Your Radio Doctor. Glad to be your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Today we have two very special guests to discuss treatments for vein disease. First, we'll hear from Dr. Tony Carabassi, a vascular surgeon with a focus in vein restoration. Then we'll speak to his very happy patient, Ms. Dawn Stensland, news anchor from the Rich Cioli Show, heard every weekday here on WPHT. We open with Dr. Tony Carabassi, a fellow graduate of Jefferson Medical College, professor of surgery, and former chief of vascular surgery at Jefferson for 16 years. He then moved into private practice and more recently partnered with the Center for Vein Restoration with his office in Wayne, Pennsylvania. A respected surgeon with a national reputation, he's been listed as a top doc by Philly Magazine. Welcome, Tony. Great to have you today. Oh, thank you, Mary Ann. It's very nice to be with you. Well, we have a few minutes to distinguish the parts of the vascular system, arteries versus veins. Let's talk about that for a few minutes. Sure. Your vascular system is really made up of three components. Uh, the arteries, uh, which are connected to the heart, so they're connected to a pump, deliver oxygenated blood to the tissue. And as we all know, oxygen is crucial for tissues to function normally. The veins bring the blood back to the heart after they've delivered the oxygen to the tissue. They are not connected to a pump. They work by muscular contraction. So when your muscles contract, it pushes on the flexible veins, and that pushes the blood back towards your heart. Uh, normal veins have one-way valves which prevent the blood from going any direction but back to your heart, so they can't go in the opposite direction. 
people with vein disease have an abnormality of their valves, which we'll talk about uh, when we start talking about how to treat varicose veins. And then there's a third system called the lymphatic system. As the blood traverses from the artery to the vein, a small amount of fluid will leak out into the tissue. Uh, And that fluid is collected by the lymphatic system, and it is returned via the lymph nodes back to the heart. So those are the three uh, main components of your vascular system. And the lymphatic uh, system is linked somewhat to the venous system because one of the symptoms of vein disease is swollen legs. And swollen legs can be caused by both a lymphatic abnormality or a vein abnormality or a combination of the two. Yep. So that's ahead, just Tommy. a quick overview of the uh, components of the circulation. So if your blood flow pauses for any reason, the blood can pool, thicken, and form a clot. And then we worry that that clot could travel uh, where it's not welcome. Um, so, Tony, you're going to talk in the next segment to one of your favorite patients, Ms. Dawn Stensland from WPHT. And then we'll talk a little bit more about the science of vein health and when veins get into trouble, how you can help us. Thank you. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Mary Ann Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.com. It is with great pleasure that I introduce Ms. Dawn Stensland, the Emmy Award-winning TV journalist, anchor and host, recognized for her work in cities across the country, but especially well-loved in Philadelphia. She's in the Broadcast Pioneers Hall of Fame, named Best of Philly several times, and she's currently the news anchor for the Rich Zioli Show every morning from 5.30 to 9 a.m. here on WPHT. Welcome, Dawn. Hi. Thanks, Dr. Marianne. Thank you very much. Aw, thanks for sharing your free time on the radio. This is like the postman taking a walk on his day off. <laughs> well, it's it's great to be with you. Uh, well, I'm so fortunate to have you and Dr. Tony Carabassi. So, Dawn, tell us, what led to you having a procedure for vein restoration? So, my um, in my family, nobody, my mom never had spider veins or anything. And there these little these little ugly, you know, squiggly veins that sort of showed up on my legs. Um, Not horrible, but they were ugly. And so they showed up really after I had my boys. Because I had big nine-pound babies, big boys, and now they're really big. Oh, wow. Um, (laughs) Now they're 13 and 16, so they're, you know, in their 60-tall range. But in any event, that was really, I started saying, I, I would try to cover them up. Because at the time, I was still anchoring the Fox 10 o'clock news. So, you know, the cameras show every little thing. And mm-hmm. so I would put, I would put leg makeup and, then, you know, just trying to cover them up. And so my sister-in-law, Kathleen, and another cousin, Karen, actually said, oh, you should go see Dr. Karabasi. So that was the first. And I didn't, it's, a, it's such a small world anymore. But um, I was glad that I that I discovered Dr. Kiribati. So that was how. Oh, that's good. So did you, when the time came, did you have local anesthesia or did you have to be sedated for the procedure? No, not at all. And the thing is with my sister-in-law, so she, she and her husband, Bill, had five kids. So after five kids, she actually had the varicose veins 
And those are the bigger, bulging, you know, more painful veins that I guess sometimes happen sure. with women, you know, with pregnancy. For me, it was not that. They're tiny little, they, they didn't hurt or anything. They're just ugly. Um, and so for me, I don't even think, maybe Dr. Carabasi remembers, it was just, we were yakking away. I don't think he put anything on there to my recollection. It was just quick and easy. Like, I can't even remember that there was any kind of anesthesia. Obviously, I'm a talker, so just get me talking, and then, you know, oh, no. I forget everything else. <laughs> the, so the, we went, call it the art of distraction. Yeah. Yes, so after the procedure, exactly. you felt fine. Yeah, you felt yeah. fine when it was over? And, yeah, and did so it they take any no, length of time? No, there was no downtime for me. Now, everybody's different, I know. But for me, there was no downtime. I, I think the one thing was... Because I'm always out and about all year round. I'm out with the boys. We're walking the dog. I'm, we're in the Wissahickon or on the bike trail or whatever. So the one thing they said, you know, wear the long tights and don't watch out for sun exposure. So that was one thing mm. that I had to be careful to cover up um, so that I wouldn't be exposed in the sun. But other than that, um, it was really painless and easy and so it's kind of it's nice to know that's out there, especially because I think it's more it's caused a lot by wearing high heels, and I'm not going to stop living my life. I like wearing high no. heels. I like you know, right when we dress up, and we want to wear oh. the heels, and we want to be busy and live our lives. So it's nice to know about a, exactly. a good fix. But the thing is, too, we're all sitting at the computer for a much longer amount of time. So if you sit for a long time or if you stand for a long time, laborers, waitresses, doctors doing long surgeries, lots of people, um, are more, more than 50% of Americans, I would guess, have these issues. So is there anything you've changed about your routine that might prevent recurrent spider veins? Not really. And to, to be the thing about it is because I'm a news person, I'm a quote-unquote essential, so I'm not, a, I'm not stuck at home. I'm still out, and I still have to go to the grocery store, and I still have to cook and clean, and you know what I mean? I'm busier than ever sure. because I think for moms and women, we're busier than ever. So I actually, I didn't change anything. I probably would have if I did not find a fix. But because I know if if something happens, I can go back and it's easy. I'm, I guess this is, I probably shouldn't say this, but it's kind of lazy. But once you find something that you know is an easy fix, you're like, eh, I'm not going to really change my life because I'm sorry. I'm just not. <laughs> being, no, being you honest, have to. Well, you know. <laughs> I know you're a member of the Zeoli Army, so maybe you shouldn't yes. march so much with the Zeoli Army. That could be part of it. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah, I believe in liberty. We've got to be free. We've got to live our lives. <laughs> yeah. Tony, do most of your patients recover as quickly as Dawn did? Yeah, Dawn had, uh, you know, uh, just to put it in some perspective, probably 55% of the population have some manifestation of varicose veins. The... Uh, the uh, most minimal manifestation is what Dawn had, what we call telangiectasia is the technical term. Spider veins are what they're known, you know, among the lay population. And, you know, um, we see a, a many, many, many people that have these. And uh, for people like Dawn and, and really for just about any any woman and, and some men, 
they're a problem. You know, they're they're very visible, and when you're wearing, particularly when you're wearing dresses like women do, and men who are active athletically, um, uh, especially if they're on the front of your calf or the front of your thigh, they're very prominent and they're embarrassing to people. And um, you know, we have a fix for those, which is what Dawn had. And in terms of of what that is, uh, it's an injection of a material into the vein. And what you're doing is you're damaging the lining of these little tiny vessels and you're inducing a very mild injury. And what happens is as the injury resolves, it, it makes the vein wither up and go away. So it's a mechanical solution, basically. And we use a very tiny needle. Uh, this won't mean anything to most people, but it's a 32-gauge needle. It's thinner than a human hair. So it, it, most people, even people that are very needle-phobic, uh, experience almost no discomfort. Dawn, I don't think you had any discomfort, did you? We did this? No, that's, that's what, she, yeah. when you asked about anesthesia, I think mm-hmm. we got to talking, and, and once we started talking, I didn't even, I didn't feel anything. Because yeah. like you said, it's just so tiny. It's not like a vaccination, or which is, you know, we're talking about vaccines. Nobody wants to hear about needles. But honestly, I don't even remember. So it was Yeah, that's, that, and that's nothing. most people's experience. You know, we have a couple people that will feel a, a tiny bit. But, um, you know, and, and I try to talk to people and put them at, at ease and, and talk about their kids and stuff, take their mind off it. And most of the time when you do that, they don't really feel anything. And um, now after you have it done, we put cotton balls over the areas that we treated because it's important to get some compression on the area that you've just treated. And then we wrap it with an ACE bandage. And if you remember, Dawn, you have to keep the ACE bandage on for five days. And uh, the reason for that is you've injured the walls of the, of the little veins. By putting compression, you can get those walls to stick together which will also obliterate, you know, the, the tiny telangiectasia. And um, the only cautions we give people are not to do any vigorous leg exercise for a couple of days. And the reason we tell people to try to avoid the sunlight is that anytime you have an injury, as that injury is healing, if it gets very bright sun exposure, sometimes that can cause some darkening of the area. So, um, so we tell people try to avoid the sun for at least a couple of weeks after we do this until it sort of uh, you know heals. And um, so, other than that, it's a very straightforward procedure with minimum with really no downtime, other than having to wear the ACE bandage. Is there anyone you would suggest not have it? Are there any risks that are that we haven't considered? Well, like anything, there's a risk. You could have a, an adverse reaction to the material we use to do the injection. Um, and some people are hypersensitive to that type of thing, and they can get some blisters, occasionally even some skin breakdown. But I've been doing this for over 40 years, and I've literally never had that happen. So I do tell people about it before we do it, but it, it just hasn't really been a big issue. Um, yeah. So it's time-tested is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and the way we do it, since people have to pay for this themselves, it's a cosmetic procedure, it's not covered by insurance, is we, we ease into it. So the first time you come in, we will do a minimal injection for not a lot of money, and then we'll wait four weeks to see if it's working. And the veins may not be gone in four weeks, but we want to see some reaction. We want to see some fading and once we know that you don't have a bad reaction and we know that it's working, then we just you can come in every week or two until we get you know get you to where you want to be basically. 
And sure. I think now that's I know if somebody, I'm sorry, I was just going to say, if somebody were on a blood thinner like Coumadin or the newer ones, Cervelto or Eliquis, you'd probably have to stop that. But how about aspirin or Motrin if somebody takes that for occasional arthritis pain or headache? Would they have to stop that before the procedure? Not really, because, um, you know, the needle's so tiny, bleeding really isn't an issue. And um, we're not relying on anything other than the mechanical injury of the, of the lining of the vessel, and that would not be affected by taking aspirin. Good, good. Mm-hmm. And can the veins recur, Tony? I guess that's a possibility. Well, the ones you inject and go away, they don't necessarily come back, but some people just tend to make these things on a constant basis. They're constantly making more of them. So there's kind of two sets of people. One one person will come in, get their vein injected, and never have another problem. Other people will continue to develop them, and those people will come in like every six months uh, after they get the their initial treatment done where they might need four or five, six sessions, whatever, uh, because they have a lot of them. Then they'll come back every six months and just get touched up and sort of stay on top of it, you know, so that they don't. Well, you, you both sound, you, yeah, you both sound great, and I think you should go on the road as a teaching team, and maybe instead of calling you, instead of Tony Orlando and Dawn, you should be Tony Carbassi and Dawn. What do you, you think go. of that? I can be your agent. I'll be your agent. Dawn, do you have any any last questions for Dr. Carbassi? I'm giving you a free consultation here. I know. I love it. No, I just think, you know, I was just thinking about, I just think we all, because I'm a Gen Xer, so we're baby boomers and Gen Xers, and we, I think everybody wants to look our best, everybody's working longer, and so I I love finding things like like this, like with Dr. Karabasi, just because it is, it kind of shows age, you know, for spider veins, it kind of shows like aging, and so for me, I just think, I wonder with Dr. Karabasi if you get more people because of vanity or they're concerned about it. For me, I I fully confess it was vanity. I just don't want it. I want to look my best and not be self-conscious. You know what I mean? Sure. Or you could do what I do, Dawn. Just buy one of those bathing suits from the 1920s that go to the ground. And who would know? (laughs) Stop. (laughs) That's all good. Well, Dawn, thank you so much for sharing your time with us. And we'll listen tomorrow on uh, the Zioli Show and clap when it's your turn to speak. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. It really is. And uh, I think we love our doctors, especially during these times, these surreal times that we have. The only thing I would say yes. to people, don't put, don't put things off. You know, go, go check it out, no matter what it is. Because I think a lot of us, a lot of people are just, worry to to get things checked out or even call your doctor so i think that's that's important you know yeah you're absolutely right and I, we really do appreciate you sharing your story because maybe you'll take the fear out of somebody who's considering having this done because it really can quality of life is important as well as symptoms and and discomfort so um you were really a big help to our listeners today don thank you so much yeah, thank My you don really appreciate it well, Thank you, Dr. Tony, and thank you, Dr. Marianne. It's really my pleasure. Uh, Take care, Dawn. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand. 
we spoke earlier, people can have problems with their arteries or their veins, and if arteries deliver blood with that's oxygenated, if they're blocked, people might be familiar with having a stent inserted in their, their heart artery, their bypass surgery, or, or a stent put in uh, their groin to deliver blood flow to their leg or their, their feet. But veins are a different story. Veins bring blood back to the heart, and how can problems arise in people's veins? Okay, well, if you recall, uh, we said that uh, veins uh, bring blood back to the heart, and they have a valve in them that prevent the blood from going in the other direction under normal circumstances. When that valve doesn't meet, that's called reflux. And when the muscles contract, it not only pushes blood back toward the heart, but it also pushes blood in the other direction into your leg. And you've got veins in your leg that run from your groin to your ankle, and run from the back of the top of your calf down to your foot. And um, if you think of those as the trunk of a tree, um, the branches coming off the trunk would be the branches going to the skin. So when that pressure is elevated in that trunk, that pressure is transmitted out to the branches, and that pressure causes the branches to enlarge and become varicose veins. Uh, again, that's because the valves are not working properly. So that's how you get varicose veins, basically. Now, you can either be born with valves that don't work properly, or your valves can be injured. Uh, the most common form of injury would be having multiple pregnancies, where your veins have, under hormonal influence, dilate. And if they don't completely come back to a normal size after several pregnancies, those valves won't meet and you'll have the reflux. Or obviously, if you're a man, you could be born with valves that just don't work properly. Uh, so that that's the etiology of varicose veins. That's why they occur. Mm -hmm. In some cases, but I guess people that are carrying too much weight uh, might see that increased pressure in their veins. Or we spoke earlier, the, I guess the Western lifestyle, we're standing for long periods, sitting for long periods, especially now with COVID at the computer or, or lockdown, I should say. And sure. uh, you can have pooling with that as well. And we talked about different occupations who are at risk too. Sure. Well, the risk factors are age is a risk factor. Uh, aging causes wear and tear on the valves in your veins. And eventually mm -hmm. that allow some of the blood to flow back into the veins, like we just uh, explained. Uh, women are much more likely to develop the condition for the reasons we talked about. Hormonal changes during pregnancy, premenstruation, or menopause can be a factor. Also, hormone treatments such as birth control pills may increase your risk of varicose veins. Pregnancy, due to the volume of blood in your body increasing, uh, that can enlarge the veins in your legs. And again, if they don't get back to normal when your pregnancy is over, that can leave you with uh, venous insufficiency. Family history, there's a greater chance if you've, if your people in your family have had varicose veins and obesity, being overweight, puts added pressure on your veins. And then, you know, standing or sitting for long periods of time where your blood doesn't flow as well can also predispose you to that. You know what comes to mind too, Tony, is people who work out a lot. I know as a GI doctor, I help people when they have hemorrhoids. And for our listeners, a hemorrhoid is just sort of a nickname for a, an enlarged vein. That when you picture somebody picking up a heavy box or they're lifting weights and you see their neck veins bulge, the, the veins in the pelvis and rectal area bulge too. Does that increase the risk for varicose veins running? A lot of pe people run a lot or weightlifting? 
It can, I guess, if you take it to extreme. Um, but, yeah. uh, you know, a hemorrhoid is no different than a varicose vein in your leg. It's exactly the same thing. Those exactly. valves in those veins don't work, you know, and that right. causes those mm-hmm. veins to enlarge and become symptomatic. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I guess on rare occasions, people that have had injuries or, or previous radiation therapy or, or even a previous blood clot for whatever reason. So mm-hmm. I guess the, the worrisome thing, if blood starts to pool because the assembly line isn't moving properly, blood pools, you can get a clot in your leg and get phlebitis or yeah. uh, even yeah. scarier is that, is that is. clot... Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, One of the with, complications. People with people with varicose veins, we're talking about the superficial veins. So they're not the ones that are connected to the veins that go directly to your heart. However, you can get superficial phlebitis where your varicose veins can clot, which can cause a lot of discomfort and take mm-hmm. several, you know, usually several months to resolve. Um, so that's right. definitely one of the one of the uh, conditions. You know, clots in the deep veins, which would be the big veins in your muscles that take the majority of blood back to your heart, they're the ones where if you get a clot there, it can break off, and they're directly connected to your heart. So they're the ones that can really get you into a lot of trouble. <clears throat> oh, sure. Like if they go to your lungs, you get a clot in your yeah, lung, and uh, right. it can be life-threatening. So what Correct. symptoms should our listeners look for, Tony? I know there can be mild symptoms like leg pain or heaviness in the legs, especially at the end of the day, and how about moderate symptoms? Yeah, the the most common uh, symptoms that we see essentially are, are is pain, and most of the time it's after like exercise, as you say, standing or sitting for long periods of time, and because those valves are not working properly and that blood is pooling and has increased pressure in your leg, that pressure, you know, uh, exerts uh, not only pressure on the veins uh, on the surface but also your skin, and. Uh, uh, and people are very uncomfortable at the end of the day uh, who have varicose veins. And that is really the primary thing that brings them in to seek treatment, both the symptoms and the fact that they've got the uh, visible varicose veins. <clears throat> sure. And I guess some people have varicose veins without symptoms of pain, or but the skin changes. I've seen some of my own patients have dark skin. They get red or brownish skin uh, discoloration, itching, dryness. And then you worry if they bump into a coffee table with the leg of a chair, they can get chronic ulcers and, and really run into trouble, yes? Right. Well, that, they're, they're the more serious complications of vein disease. Uh, vein disease, as I've described it, with the valves being incompetent, is a progressive disorder. The longer you mm-hmm. have it, the more symptoms you're going to have and the more likely you are to develop a more serious complication. And those serious complications would be you start to see darkening and discoloration of the skin, and things like you just described, skin changes. And uh, if that gets to be really severe, the worst complication would be to develop an ulcer where the skin actually breaks down. Um, And that's a mess if you get to that point. You never want to let it get a patient, if you can, get to that point, although a lot of people don't come Mm -hmm. to see us until they have an ulcer. Yeah, well, and it's frightening to the patient because, uh, and it's an open door for infection. So the way you look at the valves um, and see if they're functioning is with an ultrasound, which is a painless exam. We just run a microphone over the person's leg. Yeah, it's a painless uh, uh, study. Uh, There's basically two, two types of ultrasounds we see frequently. A patient will go into a doctor's office with a swollen leg, and they'll send them to the ultrasound lab to make sure they don't have a blood clot. And that's a quick study where they're just looking at the vein to see if there's a clot in the vein. When you're mm-hmm. 
uh, going to consider treating a patient for varicose veins, they need a what we call a functional study, which is where you look at how the veins are actually working. You're not necessarily looking for blood clots, although you, you, you do check to make sure they don't have blood clots when you do it. And that's actually a fairly extensive study that takes about an hour where you look at you know, all the veins in the leg to see which valves aren't working properly because to treat this effectively, you need to know where to treat. And the ultrasound gives exactly. you a roadmap that tells you how to treat it. <clears throat> I was just going to say, you have to know how to mark the veins. And then I guess that helps you decide which of the therapies you're going to tell us about the different therapies available and what kind of anesthesia Correct. to use. Before you go on to that, do you usually treat one leg at a time? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For, and for I guess I know you... you uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You elevate the leg during surgery to decrease bleeding, too, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, t- t- so tell us about the therapies, Tony. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the, what you have to do is you have to treat the underlying vein that has the elevated pressure, and that's that vein that runs from your groin to your ankle or down the back of your calf. And there mm-hmm. are a number of different ways you can treat that. The, the preferred way to treat it in my practice is to use a technique called radiofrequency closure. And what that involves is making a very tiny incision, about three millimeters in length, which is very tiny, usually in your distal thigh or if it extends down into your calf, in your proximal calf. And through that incision, we place a catheter into the vein, and we feed the catheter up into the groin where the vein starts. And then as we pull the catheter back, we use radiofrequency energy to actually seal the vein shut. Now, when you seal that superficial vein shut, you relieve the elevated pressure in the leg. So there, there are several other ways you can treat this. You can use a laser rather than radiofrequency. You can inject a, a solution of foam that will cause the vein to uh, also contract and scar down. Uh, and so it's, it's just a matter of personal taste. And uh, I have found the radiofrequency is the most effective treatment, so that's what I prefer. Um, this is so fascinating to, this, to me, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The old way to treat it was to strip the vein out, where you actually remove the vein. That requires general anesthesia Ooh. in the hospital and a week of downtime. This procedure is done in the office under local anesthesia, and there's no downtime. So you have the procedure done. We, we wrap you up or put a stocking on, and you walk out the door and just go about your business, which is really very nice. So it's a big step up over it's, the old stripping oh, technique. Oh, yeah. It's incredible, and I guess, too, while the disease veins are starting to lose function, you build up collaterals to be ready for that day when you close down the disease vein. Let's take a little break, and we'll come back to end with some suggestions to help our listeners. Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. Dr. Marianne will return, but first, a medical message from one of our partners. And we're in our last segment with Dr. Tony Carabassi from the Center for Vein Restoration. Tony, what can our listeners do to keep their veins a little bit healthier? Well, I think that um, for very mild cases, uh, we usually start off with a conservative approach, and that would consist of wearing compression stockings to make your symptoms better. And the symptoms would be, you know, a mild ache without big veins. Uh, or a little bit of swelling, again, without big veins. And so compression stockings uh, should be fitted, so you should have measurements done in your leg to make sure you get the proper stocking. And if you come to the office here, we would we would measure you and give you those measurements on a script. But if you don't have that and you just start doing this yourself, you can just go to a surgical supply house 
and they will measure you and make sure you get the right size stocking. So uh, for, for, you know, cases where people are having mild symptoms, don't really have uh, much in the way of varicose veins, we always take a conservative approach to that. And most of the time, that's, that's all you need to do. Other things for prevention are just exercising, watching your weight. Uh, some people feel eating a high-fiber, low-salt diet will help. Um, elevating your legs occasionally during the day will help. And, you know, changing your sitting or standing position regularly uh, because when you walk and you get up and move around, you're flexing your muscles, and that's the muscular pump that moves the blood back to your heart. And that's what you want to do is to stimulate that, that blood flow. Exactly. And I think pregnant women, I know when any of the kids in our family are expecting baby, or the girls or any of my patients, I always remind them, if you're going on a long car ride, get out especially every hour and a half to two, walk around, even if it's five or 10 minutes, people who are overweight or at risk for, for clotting, um, get out and walk around. How about long plane rides? Do you ever make no, any yeah. suggestions for? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very important. You know, most people say if you wear compression stockings on the airplane, that'll be enough, but that's not enough. Uh, you really need to get up every hour and a half or so and, and walk up and down the aisle and, and get that muscular you know, pump working because that's what keeps your blood circulating and avoids blood clots. So and if you're stuck in your important. seat, you and can always... And the same way, yeah. as you say, same mm -hmm. way with a long car trip. You, you know, stop every hour and a half or two hours, get out, take a walk. Yeah. And uh, that'll Find keep a you... rest stop, sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you can even sit, as you're sitting in the car, pretend you're driving and use your feet to hit the pedals back and forth, point your toe, feet up and down a few times, uh, maybe every half hour. And, right, um, or just tense your muscles. A... Just, just tense your thigh muscles, and that'll... That's mm -hmm. uh, that's not as good as walking, but it's still a, a good thing to do because that'll that'll get the blood flowing well too. Yeah. So, Tony, if our listeners wanted to visit a website, where would you send them? Uh, they can find me by just going to Center for Vein Restoration and just find the Wayne office, and the uh, all the numbers and information are right there, and. Um, we're very happy to see people who just, uh, you know, don't be afraid to come in and just get a consult if you have questions. Uh, if there sure. isn't anything significant, Doesn't... we'll tell you that. And we'll give you some hints on what to do. If you do have a problem, uh, we'd be more than happy to take care of it for you. Beautiful. Dr. Tony Carabassi from the Center for Vein Restoration. And I know you like to refer people to the Mayo Clinic. Just Google Mayo Clinic and look up veins and you can read more about it yourself. So, Tony, thank you so much for being with us today. We learned a lot and we really appreciate your time. Oh, sure, Marianne. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Now, you're real champions. It's time for your real champion, Sister Mary Scullion, the Angel of Mercy. A few weeks ago, we discussed homelessness, a growing problem in America, because housing is medical care. Project Home in Philadelphia is the most successful outreach in the country. But today, we bring you a little closer to the heart and soul of that story. Sister Mary Scullion. Sister Mary is a native of Philadelphia and first-generation American. Her parents immigrated from Ireland and settled in Northeast Philadelphia. At one point, her father became ill and unable to work. Maybe she sees her own family's hardships in the needy people of today. At Little Flower High School, she was influenced by her teachers, the Sisters of Mercy, and joined the order right after graduation. First, she taught seventh grade at St. Malachy's, a school in a very poor neighborhood. 
then on to Mercy Hospice, a shelter for homeless women where she stayed and worked and juggled studies as a full-time student at St. Joseph's University. During these formative years, another major influence was Jesuit Father Ed Brady. He invited Mary to join a small group of St. Joe students preparing for the International Eucharistic Congress in Philadelphia in 1976. She met world leaders of the church, Mother Teresa, Dorothy Day from the Catholic Work Movement, and Cardinal Camara of Brazil. Father Pedro Arupe of Spain, a physician and secretary general of the Jesuits, spoke the words, When there is anyone hungry in the world, the Eucharist is incomplete everywhere in the world. And she became a lifetime advocate for the homeless. Sister Mary even spent nights living in the streets to better empathize with the needy. 1985, she co-founded Women of Hope, a program with housing and support for homeless, mentally ill women. 1988, she founded the Outreach Coordination Center, the nation's first program that coordinated private and public agencies to find shelter for the homeless. Project Home opened in 1989, but it wasn't a comprehensive center overnight. Sister Mary and Joan Dawson, a Drexel University student and committed volunteer, asked city officials to open a short-term emergency shelter for about 50 men. Their work began in the locker room of a city swimming pool. Cooked everything in a microwave and with no sink, they used the washing machine hose to clean the dishes. Men came in at 7 p.m., left at 7 a.m., returning to the same bed saved for them every night. Co-founder Joan Dawson McConnon is now Associate Executive Director at Project Home. The initial board? Joan, Sister Mary, Steve Gold, a lawyer and supporter, two volunteers, and three men from the shelter. They wrote the rules by which they all would live. Sister Mary says, we collaborate. When staff, volunteers, and homeless people all work together, we're all changed. This transformative leadership has made Sister Mary's work beautiful, successful, and formed her battle cry, no one is home until all of us are home. Mary sees everyone as her brother or sister. She speaks with the same ease and grace whether she's meeting the Pope, a former president, royalty, a volunteer, or a person experiencing homelessness. She shares the sentiments of Pope Francis who urges us to join the revolution of tenderness. But remember, you don't have to be a nun to help the homeless. Each of us is called to lend a hand. TV interviews, acceptance speeches, she asserts, Raising your voices any way you can to equal opportunity for every single American is really helping us all fulfill the American dream. Today, when so much of society is hardened to the plight of the poor, she urges us, look a homeless person in the eye. Recognize their dignity as a human being. One show of kindness, generosity, and unconditional love may be the spark that makes them value themselves to make the change and come in. We salute Sister Mary Scullion, your real champion. Thank you for listening. Next week, we'll hear from Sue Rocco, host of Women to Watch here on WPHT, the show which highlights the real stories behind women leaders from around the country. Independence Blue Cross will tell us about their upcoming innovation seminar, and the Red Cross will invite you to join their efforts. Listen to all our shows on yourradiodoctor.com. And now pour yourself another cup of coffee, sit back, and enjoy two beautiful voices, Frank Sinatra and Sid Mark. And remember, your health is your wealth. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. 
This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.